y'all. And so, listen, let's get in the word tonight. Let's get into the word. Listen, as God began to speak to me um, about the word, one of the things he said was that many of you all have been drafted into change. You've been drafted into change. There is a change taking place in the kingdom of God. There is a, a great awakening taking place. Like God has been working behind closed doors. There's things he's doing and pieces that he's moving and things that he's, he's been working on that you may not know anything about. And you and you and you and you have been drafted into a change that's taking place. But sometimes we get so caught up in where we are that we can't really see where we're going. And so tonight we're going to talk about the fight that finds you. Look at somebody and say the fight that finds you. So we're going to talk about um, two characters in the Bible. And I actually had three. I was going to talk about Gideon, but for the sake of time, we're going to talk about two characters in the Bible that the fight found. And so the first one that we're going to talk about, and listen, I'm going to be doing um, a lot of reading and bouncing from passage to passage. And so I need you all to stay with me and to kind of tune your ears. Oh, and I, I do need to give a disclaimer. Y'all have to ignore this apple demon. Ignore, ign ignore the mark of the beast. Ignore the mark of the beast, all right, y'all? I'm still Android, uh, Android ride or die. Y'all just ignore this apple, okay? It's only here for research purposes and reconnaissance. I have to find out what kind of stronghold is on y'all life. So every now and again, I'll, uh, you know, use my Apple device. But anyway... And so we're here at this passage in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 9. And I'm going to be paraphrasing as I go. And so at this point, of course, the, the children of Israel wanted a king. They wanted to be like all of the other nations. And they wanted to be like everybody else. And so they asked God for a king. And even though he wanted to be their king... He obliged them and said, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to pick a king. And he, he spoke to Samuel. And in verse 15, it says, and now a day before Saul's coming, because God, remember I said God is working and he creates all of these conditions. And we only see one piece or another piece, but he's been working the whole time. And so he decided that Saul was going to be king. And so he allowed some of the donkeys um, that was under their care to get missing. And he sent the donkeys missing just to get Saul out of his place to go on a search. And so the Bible talks about how Saul and his servant were sent on a mission to go and look for these donkeys. And as they're going and they're searching for the donkeys, the Lord is somewhere else speaking to Samuel because this is how he does. We're preoccupied looking for the donkeys, but he's busy over here preparing a stage for us. And so he says, now a day before Saul's coming, the Lord had revealed to Samuel saying, about this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin and you shall anoint him as ruler over my people of Israel. And he will save my people from the hand of the Philistines. And I don't know if I told y'all to pull up NASB, but, um, <clears throat> 
my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have considered my people because their outcry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, here he is pretty much. This is the man who I've spoke to you about. This one shall rule over my people. Then Saul approached Samuel at the gateway and said, please tell me where the seer's house is. And Samuel answered Saul and said, I'm the seer. Go up to the high place for you shall eat with me today. And in the morning I will let you go and will tell you everything that is on your mind. I'll tell you everything that's on your mind. Some translations say, I'll tell you everything that's in your heart. He wasn't just talking about his search for the donkeys. He was also talking about the purpose of God that was hidden in his heart. Because it's hidden there long before we even discover it. And sometimes it takes a seer or someone called by God to draw that thing out to the surface. And as for your donkeys that wandered off three days ago, do not be concerned about them for they have been found. So this is proving that point that Listen, this, when I tell you what's on your heart, it's not going to be about the donkeys you're looking for. It's going to be much deeper than that. And then he goes on to say, I'm, I'm skipping down a little bit. Um, and for whom is everything that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all of your father's household? Pay attention here. Then Saul replied, am I not a Benjamite? Of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin, why then have you spoken to me this way? Listen, this, this is what I love. Samuel doesn't even pay attention to what he says. The Bible says, then Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who were invited and who were about 30 men. And he prepared a feast for him. Some translations say that he gave him a place of royalty. Often when God calls us into into service or he's getting ready to prepare us, it's not always the people that are doing the work of the Lord to call us in. Sometimes it's our response that we have to try to remind people that we're not good enough and so what does he say he said why you're calling me this is the family I'll come from and my family is the least of all of the tribe of Benjamin and Samuel doesn't even pay him attention Samuel takes him to a place of royalty sits him down and begins to feed him and so moving on to chapter 10 and it says I want to make sure I'm not skipping over um, an important part. Actually, at the bottom of that that passage, after he feeds him, he tells him, listen, um, in the morning we're going to rise up. We're going to go talk. I'm going to tell you everything that's in your heart. And then when he gets him to the place where he's ready to speak to him, the Bible says he told him to send his servant away because what he was getting ready to tell him was something personal between God and between Saul. And so going to chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Then Samuel took the flask of oil, poured it on Saul's head, kissed him, and said, Has has the Lord not anointed you 
as ruler over his inheritance. Then he goes on in verse 3 all the way down and he begins to give him very detailed instructions of what it is he's to do and where he's to go. And, and I mean, just very, very detailed instructions that Samuel begins to outline for him. And then in verse 9, I love this part. After he was done giving him all of these instructions that had come from the Lord, the Bible says, then it happened when he turned his back to leave Samuel, that God changed his heart. And all those signs came about on that day. God didn't wait when the word was spoken to change his heart. He changed his heart when he turned to go obey the instructions that he was given. Because you always given a choice, even though the instructions are given to you and the word of God is proclaimed over your life. And God can say, you're called to do this. And I'm bringing you here to do that. And he can anoint your head with oil, with all of this pomp and circumstance. But if you don't turn to go fulfill what it is, he said, he's not giving you a heart to match the instructions unless you're ready to do them. And so in this moment, the Bible says that as soon as Saul turned to go follow, that the Lord gave him a new heart and that everything that Samuel had spoken to him, that it came past. It came to pass. And so I'm paraphrasing this part. The Bible goes on to say that with this new anointing and this heart and the spirit of God that came on him, that Saul went down and he began to prophesy with the prophets to the point that people that had known him before began to say, is that, is that Saul? Is that Kish's son out there prophesying with the prophets? And it was like a fable went out in the land that now all of a sudden Saul is a prophet. But This is the part that I love, that when he got back home, when the problem was solved, when he brought the donkeys back home, the Bible says that his uncle found out that he'd been with Samuel. And listen, Samuel's fame went throughout the land because he was a prophet of God and whatever he spoke happened and often he was speaking judgment. And so when it got back to his uncle, like you was hanging out with Samuel, what did he say? You know, because... Family always and people that know you always going to want to know what was said. They're going to want to know what was said to you and what happened. And the Bible says that Saul told him, well, he told me where the donkeys was and he helped me to find them. But he didn't tell him anything else that happened. He didn't tell him about the anointing. He didn't tell him about the instructions. He didn't tell him about any of the word of God or any of that thing that was spoken over his life. He kept it very simple and very brief. And at first I thought, man, this is just wisdom. But listen, let me, let let me go on a little further to tell you what else it could have been. And so then we have in verse 20. Chapter 10 and verse 20. So Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel forward, and the tribe of Benjamin was selected by Lot. So at this point, he's before the people of Israel, and he's getting ready to choose a king. He tells them, listen, your big crybabies done asked for a king. You're hard-headed. He got to go off first and tell them, you know, when you're doing something you don't really want to do, but God has told you to do it, he goes off a little bit first, like, y'all hard-headed. Y'all never listen to nothing. Y'all get on my nerves. But listen, he's going to give you a king, so let's go ahead on and do it. And so Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel forward. And the tribe of Benjamin was selected by Lot. Then he brought the tribe of Benjamin forward by his families. And the Matrite family was selected by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, 
was selected by Lot. I love the way that God works. Even though he'd already predetermined what was going to happen, he chose to do it in this manner because this was the manner that they were used to. And sometimes he'll play our game just to hush us up because had Samuel come in there and said, God said it's going to be him, there would have been all kind of ruckus and politics. But if we do it the way that y'all believe in, the, the purpose of God is still accomplished. But listen, we got to choose our battles here. And so they all were selected by Lot. And all of a sudden, Saul is selected. And Samuel said to all the people, where is he pretty much? Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? Surely there is no one like him. Oh, no, I'm going I'm going too fast. Um, and Saul, the son of Kish, I'm sorry, in verse 21, was selected by Lot. But when they looked for him, he could not be found. Everybody's looking for Saul, who's already had the word of the Lord spoken over him. He's seen the signs that were promised take pass, come to pass. And he's been anointed. And here is his moment for this public unveiling. And they cannot find him. And so Samuel's like, hey, where is he at? Has he come here yet? Like, where is he? Everybody's looking for him. And the Lord said, behold, he is hiding himself among the baggage. Listen, when God is ready to do what he's ready to do in your life, everybody else may not be able to find you. You may be somewhere hiding real good. But listen, the spirit of God will locate you right where you are. And he said, listen, Samuel, he's over there hiding with the baggage. Some translations say he was literally hiding with the equipment, a place that nobody would look for. And so they ran and took him from there the Bible says. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders up. Samuel said to all the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? Surely there is no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and said, long live the king. Now, I didn't put this passage in there, but I want to paraphrase from 25 to 27. And the Bible says that when he was anointed king, there was almost a split crowd among the men where some of them, the Bible says, were valiant and they accepted him and they went back from where they were and left and went with Saul to Gibeah. But the Bible goes on to say, I love this. I, I love this in verse 27. But certain useless men, useless, the valiant man accepted it and went with Saul. But the Bible says that the useless man said, how can this one save us? And they despised him and did not bring him a gift. But the Bible says that Saul kept silent about it. He kept silent about it. So here it is, people that are already standing in a place of valiance, that have an understanding for worth and value, easily accepted who God appointed. But the Bible said that useless men, people that are idle, people that are disgruntled, people that are unhappy, as soon as God gets ready to do what he's ready to do in your life, it's always going to be the useless people that have something to say about it. Not useless in value, but useless in action. You can't see the vision on my life if you haven't come into contact with the one on yours. 
It's very hard for you to accept my elevation when you don't believe that there's one available for you. It's always the people that are not busy being used in any capacity that have something to say about God's elevation. And so here it is, and I'm moving quickly, in chapter 11. So after Saul is anointed, after this happens, as he has a group that goes back with him and people that don't go back with him, he goes back to his home and he picks up as usual. There wasn't like this throne for him to sit on. Nobody even really had context for what a king was supposed to do because he was the very first of them all. The Bible said that Samuel had to sit down and say, okay, this is what royalty is. This is what royalty does. But obviously it wasn't like this palace or this place for him to rule from. And so what did Saul do? He went right back home to his father's house and picked up right where he left off. But then there arose an enemy, the Ammonites. And they came one day and they pretty much circled um, Jabesh Gilead and told them, listen, we're here. We're going to fight y'all. We're going to beat y'all up. And so the men from Jabesh Gilead was like, man, we can't fight them on our own. So they went out and said, make a covenant with us and we're going to serve you. We'll serve you. Listen, we can't beat y'all up. So let's just make a deal right now. We'll be your servants. But because the Ammonites don't fight fear and because they were thugs, they pretty much told them, okay, we'll make a covenant with you on this one condition. All of y'all have to pluck out your right eye. We'll let you serve us, but you have to pluck out your right eye. And so, like, this is the funniest and weirdest story. They're like, okay, let us think about this for seven days. Like, they're literally negotiating. We're going to think about this for seven days. We're going to go and see if we can get any help, and we'll get back to y'all. And they're like, okay. So the Bible says that the elders of Jabesh, Jabesh went out. And they began looking and trying to find a way to get some help. And so here it is in verse 4. Then the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, Saul's home, because mind you, they're going from city to city of their people trying to find help. Then the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and spoke these words in the hearing of the people told them everything that went on. And the Bible says, all the people raised their voices and wept. Here it is. Everybody hears what is said and everybody's weeping and crying and, and screaming to the point that the Bible says, and behold, Saul, in verse five, was coming from the field behind the oxen. Where was he coming from? The field. He was coming from the field. I want you to remember that. Behind the oxen. And Saul said, what is the matter with the people that they weep? So they reported to him the words of the men of Jabesh. Then the spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words. And he became very angry. The same words that had the people crying and weeping were the same words that initiated and activated the anointing that was on his life. The same words that had everybody cowering in terror were the same words that activated 
the dormant gift that was inside of him. Remember, he was anointed and he was called, but he went back to what it was that he was supposed to be doing. While he's in the field, dealing with the oxen, dealing with the hard work, the Bible says that all of a certain, he heard the people that he was called to weeping. And when he went to inquire, the same words that had them running in fear was the thing that activated what he was called to. Then the spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words and he became very angry. He then took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout the territory of Israel by the hands of messengers saying, whoever does not come out after Saul and after Samuel, the same shall be done to his oxen. So listen, he could have asked them very nice. King Saul is asking for your help. He didn't do it that way. He decided, listen, if you're going to be afraid of something, you're going to be afraid of loss. Because if you don't do what we need done, it's not about you losing your eye. You're going to lose something. There's something that happens when disunity does not take place, when unity does not take place. And so Saul sent the message. The Bible says all of a sudden, every last single tribe started sending men. And then there was a great battle that took place, and they beat the Ammonites, the Bible says, from sunup to sundown. But I really want to bring up this point. I want to bring up this point. Then the people said to Samuel, after he's won this battle, after he's won this victory, after he's really shown himself to be king, in verse 12 it says, Then the people said to Samuel, Who is he that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men so that we may put them to death. They're talking about the useless men. They said, Listen, He's proven himself to be everything that God has called him to be. He's the one. We said it from the start. So let's bring the useless man, the ones who said he wasn't. Because this is the thing. Even though they've now seen him proven and they may have stood by him from the moment of being anointed, there's always a little doubt in people's minds. And so now that he's proven himself, they're saying, let's cut off the ones who said from the start that he shouldn't be king. And this is the reality. Some of us would have been like, yeah, let's go get them. It's time for them to go on down because they said it. We don't need them around. But Saul in verse 13 said, not a single person shall be put to death this day. For today, the Lord has brought about a victory in Israel. Here it is in this moment. You can tell a true leader by what they decide to quench or what they decide to throw fuel on. Because he was the one that had the right to be offended. But he made a decision in that moment. Nobody shall be put to death because the most important thing is for us to be unified. And if I can win even the naysayers, this is what unity is. If you're called to leadership, petty cannot live. That, that celebrating being petty and, and getting people back, you're proving you're not ready to lead in any capacity. Because God will put your petty on display and give you a choice whether or not you're willing to quench that thing. And so here we have it, moving along. 
We're talking about two characters here. So we move on to David, who we all know the story that David was going to be Saul's replacement. And I promise y'all I'm going somewhere. I know it's a lot of reading, but I have to lay a foundation for, of understanding because many of you all are called into this place where God is getting ready to set the stage for a fight that you're meant to answer. And so here it is in verse 6. Samuel has been brought to Jesse's house to anoint the next king of Israel. He's already told him, listen, Saul is done. I'm hoping that you all know your Bible, why Saul is done, how he went from one point to another. But he pretty much says, Saul is done. It's time for a new king. And he's in Jesse's house. And Samuel goes to Jesse's house. And here it is in verse 6. When they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is standing before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For God does not see as man sees since man looks at the outward appearance. I really want to point this out because you got to remember, remember when Samuel anointed Saul, the one thing that he said to the people is look at him. Surely this got to be God's anointed because he stands taller than all the people from the shoulders up. Listen, Samuel had this problem from the start looking at people by sight. The Bible never says that God chose Saul because he looked like a leader. The Bible just says that Samuel thought to himself that that's why God chose Saul. And so here it is, he's ready to anoint the next king, and he has the same issue where he's thinking God is choosing people by sight. But God corrected him and said it was never because of sight, it was always because of heart. When God chooses you, it's always going to be because of your heart. It's always going to be because of the positioning of your heart. He never looks the way that we look. He always looks at the heart and the attention of the heart. You need to ask yourself, even now in this moment, what is inside of my heart? And so the Lord begins to say, then Jesse called Abinadab. And the Bible goes on to say that he literally called all of his sons, all of his sons, But none of them. God kept saying, no, no, no. And then verse 11, Samuel said to Jesse, are these all of your sons? And he said, the youngest is still left, but behold, he is tending the sheep. Where was he at? In the field. Listen, every time God is going to call somebody, because listen, the field is... Is the, the field is not laying up on the beach sipping pina coladas. The field represents hard work. The field represents diligence. The field represents a place of toiling and process. And whenever he calls somebody, he's calling somebody that's already doing something. He's calling somebody that's already serving a purpose. And so here it is. All of the other brothers have been called to David's ordination service. And David wasn't even called because he was in the field. But when God is ready to call you, he will not let you miss out on your own party. And so Samuel said, send the word to Jesse, bring him for we will not take place at the table until he is here. And so the Bible goes on to tell 
that Samuel anointed David right there in, in, in front of all of his brothers and in front of his entire family. And when David goes on to talk about God preparing a table before him in the presence of his enemies, this is what he was talking about. He was the least of them. He was the last thought of even by his father. And here it is in this moment, he's anointed before his family, this great pomp and circumstance. But guess what? Guess what David did right after being anointed? He went right back to the... He took this anointing and went right back to the field. Sometimes we think that the anointing starts in a moment like that, but the anointing starts long before anybody lays hands on you. There's more than one anointing. There's one, more than one anointing that happens. There's an anointing that takes place in the secret place with God. David wasn't just in the field working. David was in the field becoming acquainted with the presence of God. This anointing that was done in the face of his family was preparation for a fight that he was getting ready to walk in. I'm going to paraphrase because I want to get to the rest of the things I have. And so after David is anointed, he goes back to the field, but there's a spirit that comes and begins to torment Saul. And the Bible goes on to say that his servant said to him, well, maybe you need somebody who's anointed that can play and that can minister to get this tormenting spirit off of you. And so one of his servants said, well, there is this one guy who's the son of Jesse. And he runs down his resume and said, he's valiant. He's a warrior. He's got excellent speech. He plays very well. Like they ran down this resume of who David was. David was everything that he was called to be before there was a stage. And people will speak well of you when you're not even around. And so the Bible says that David was ushered to the king's palace and that whenever he played, that the spirit left Saul. And so Saul became acquainted with David, and I'm bringing this up to you because I really want to nail a very important point. So here it is. David is um, positioned. He's anointed. But I want to get to his activation. So in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and I promise y'all this is the last of my reading, and some of y'all, listen, this reading is going to hold y'all over for the whole month, because y'all Bible app is frozen, it's inactive, and 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 the Bible you got at home, like, look real new, none of the pages are crinkled, so this is just going to hold y'all over for the whole month, all right? I mean it, I know it's there, I mean it though, y'all. And so at this point, David's anointed, his brothers are at war, we know the story, his father sends him to take a care package to his brothers. So here it is, David, who's anointed king, who has all his purpose, is doing all of these mediocre tasks. He's in the field watching sheep. He's taking lunch and care packages to his brothers who are at war. He's just carrying on with life. The Bible never says that him or Saul reminded anybody, but I'm king. But, but I was anointed, and, and I should be doing more than this. No, both of them were found serving. 
God will never call you if you are not found serving another person's mission. I'm sorry. This rogue spirit where we feel like I'm this and I'm that, if you can't serve another person's mission or another person's calling without reminding them what you are and who you were anointed to be, sometimes that's really the test is to know who you really are and have to do less than what you really are. And so here he is. He's taking this little care package to his brothers, his brothers who he know don't like him. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words, here it is in verse 11. Mind you, Goliath has come out day after day, taunting them, telling them, listen, I'm going to kill y'all. I'm going to rip y'all to shreds. I'm going to tear y'all up. And day after day, nobody was stuck to Goliath. And the Bible says, verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and very fearful. Isn't it funny how things changed that the same words that activated Saul before now had him in a position where he was right with the people that he was meant to save. When pride creeps in, it lowers you from your place. And as Pastor Gail said weeks ago, he'd already been demoted but had not told anybody. So he had every reason to be afraid. But now David, here it is, we're talking about the fight that finds you in verse 12, was the son of the Epaphrathite, this is why we have Pastor Tim Reed, of Bethlehem in Judah, the man whose name was Jesse. And so here it is, paraphrasing y'all. He, he shows up. He takes his brothers, their care package. And the Bible says that here it is, Goliath comes every day like he normally does and taunts them and tell them, I'm going to beat y'all up and all of this good stuff. And David goes and he greets his brothers. And in verse 23, and this is the last of the reading. As he was speaking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath, named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines. And he spoke these same words that he spoke every day. But this time, the Bible says that David heard him. What happened to Saul? The people were afraid, but when he heard it, it activated him. Here it is in this moment. The people have heard these words every day and it's terrified them. But when David shows up, he hears the words differently. And the Bible says he goes on to inquire about who is this opposing us? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that is opposing us? And what's going to happen to the person that decides to take this on? And all of a sudden, David, everybody else was afraid, but David answered the call. The Bible says that it angered him. It it made him angry. And we know the story that he goes on to defeat Goliath. He goes on to deal with them. I I, want to move on and, and get to the part that I feel like is most important. But go to the second slide. The third, I'm sorry, the fourth slide. Here it is. 
The Lord will call you. The Lord anoints you. But it will be the fight that reveals you. Both of them were called. Both of them were anointed. And they went to back to where they were serving in the field, serving in their father's house. But there is a fight prepared for your unveiling. God will always create a problem to unveil what you're the solution for. And then slide five. The sign of unveiling is when everyone else runs from the fight and you run toward it. Everybody else ran from the fight and they heard the fight differently. But when Saul heard it, he was a solution. When David heard it, he was a solution. And the Bible goes on. I I really love this part. The Bible goes on to say that when David defeated Goliath, and I'm challenging you all to read the entire story of Saul and David in your spare time. But when he defeated Goliath, the Bible says that at the end of it, Saul said, who is this boy and who is his father and where did he come from? I find it very funny that David had served in his kingdom, served in the palace, played for him. Listen, every last single time that the, the spirit came and tormented him, the Bible says that when David played, the spirit would leave. You don't tend to forget somebody that's responsible for your deliverance. But here it was in this moment, David was delivering them again at a different level, and Saul had to figure out who he was. He didn't even recognize David because when promotion comes, you have to reintroduce yourself. You look nothing like what you looked like before. He had benefited from one level of anointing on David's life. You only know this side of me as the one who plays and the one who sings. But now you're seeing me in a different capacity and you're asking again who I am and where I come from. You don't even remember me from before because this anointing is showing up entirely different and allow me to reintroduce myself. And so what are some of the things that you have to face and that you have to get over in order to face the fight. And so on slide six, the first thing is inadequacy. And I'm moving fast. His thoughts of being less than enough and not good enough. And I'm not there yet. And why me? And I'm not so special. Listen, anybody that tells you that they feel fully prepared is not telling you the truth. I don't care how many times hands have been laid on you and how many times you feel anointed and how many times God speak to you. Sometimes there are thoughts and feelings that come up, ways that we've been trained to believe that we're not ready for it. And God is not always going to deliver you from these feelings. He's going to deliver you through it. He's going to call you to do things that you don't feel equipped for because you're going to realize that you need him to do it. Then the next thing that you're going to have to be delivered from is fear. Where everybody else heard a problem and was afraid, you see that courage rose up in the people that were called to solve it. You can't let other people's fear jump on you. You can't let other people's fear immobilize you and paralyze you. Sometimes it's 
shows up as procrastination where we think we just don't feel like doing it. A lot of times it's your unbelief and your fear telling you that you can't. And so you lay back and you sit back and you don't do the things that you're called to do that God has already spoken that you're able to do because it's fear, it's fear, it's fear. And then there is these haunting thoughts, these thoughts of failure and what happens if I don't live up to it and if if I can't measure up to the risk that's being laid out there. It's fear. It's all of it's fear speaking. But the main thing that you have to get over is the fear of man because men will tell you that you can't. And as you saw in both cases, it was tied to family. Saul didn't think he could do it because of the family that he came from. And what many people don't know is that his father was a great warrior and his fame went out through the land of Israel, that his father was this great man. And sometimes when you're going and you're trying to fill shoes of great people, you think that you're supposed to do it the same way. And if you can't do it the same way, you think that it's not good enough. And sometimes you have to get over what you're not becoming that you've seen before you. And even if it's not that, it's the people that were around you always telling you that you weren't good enough and and, and you weren't uh, great enough. And sometimes when God will call you to do things that are unpopular, you can't be afraid of people. The Bible says that Paul told Timothy, look, don't even look at their face. Don't even look at their face. Don't even look at them because what I'm calling you to do is not going to be received at first and it's not going to be popular. And if you're afraid of people, you will miss God every time. The next thing that you will have to face is hiding physically, emotionally, and spiritually hiding where we hide ourselves Sometimes, like I said, physically, we saw that Saul was literally hiding in the baggage. Sometimes that looks like not coming to church. Because there's an accountability present when you hear the word. There's accountability present in a prophetic atmosphere. Sometimes that means pulling ourselves away from people that are going to speak the truth to us in love. Where we shut ourselves down and we remove ourselves. Then dumbing yourself down. Listen, some of us, God will move us away from influences and people that are less than where he's taking us. And we feel it and we feel the tug and we feel the pull. But we dumb ourselves down. So that people don't say, you think you're better than, you think you're too good. We hold back on our gifts and our talents because we don't want people to feel inadequate around us. And we don't want them to necessarily see the way that we're growing and we're changing. Because what do they say? What do useless people say? They say, you switched up and you changed. You're darn skippy, I switched up and I changed. Because it was time for it. And if you can't accept it, you don't need to be in this space anymore. Because anybody that is against you growing and changing is against God. Then there's quenching your ability where you start to quench the things that you're able to do and there's there's things that come in that tell you, well, you're just being too much. You're doing too much. You're doing this and you're that. And most times it's voices coming from within, not externally. Then there's this retreat, this, this pulling away or hiding ourselves. And one of the main things that we'll say is that I'm just an introvert. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And listen, I'm definitely more of an introvert. I'm more ambivert, but I'm more of an introvert than my husband. So I know what it feels like 
to retreat and to want to be alone. But there comes a point that when God is calling you out of that space, you don't get to lay on this excuse that I'm an introvert. He will call you out of that space and then put you back in when it's time. Oh, yeah, Jess. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Then the last slide. Things that we we have to face for the fight. Rejection. Rejection from family, from friends, from those who thought should see you. I I really love this part because here it is. David is called to his ordination service, his anointing, and none of his family sees him. None of his family thinks well of him. And even the man of God then tried to anoint the older brother because of how he looks. And sometimes the people that we expect to see certain things inside of us, when they don't see it, we consider that rejection. But the reality is if you need them to see it, to feel valid, God will not give it to you until you see it from him first. Because if you need them to see it first, it puts you in a place of depending on them moving forward. And God wants to be the one to reveal it to you before they see it. Then there's self-rejection. Some of us don't even like ourselves. And God needs you to like yourself in order for you to do what he's calling you to do. Then there's revenge. Some of us got a revenge bone in our body. Remember when I said that Saul said, don't kill the useless men. We need them too that I told you so disposition, the gloating disposition. And then here it is, the mismanagement of power. When you've been given a little power and you use it to pay people back or, or you use it to demote people or to silent treatment people or to punish people when you've been given a little bit of authority, revenge is not yours. It belongs to the Lord. And when you're called to do anything great for God, revenge cannot be present. Then the last thing, selfish ambition. A discomfort with being led. An inability to deal with plans that shift or change. Or dreams that stop with us and start with God. Whenever selfish ambition, and you can stand to your feet, it's active. This, this is the thing that um, some people don't realize. Is that Judas, Jesus put Judas over the money knowing that Judas was a thief. He put him over the money. And Judas was faithful to be there because he was taking from the offerings and he was in a position to serve his ambition. Because all of the disciples thought that Jesus was there to just, you know, put them all in positions of high authority when he takes over. When he, when he gets rid of Rome, he was going to be the great savior. And they all thought they were going to have this great place. But Judas didn't betray Jesus until he realized that what they thought was going to happen wasn't going to happen. Because he was content 
to stay in the position that he was in because he felt like all of the wealth was going to come to him in that position. But when he realized he's really going to the cross and what we thought was going to happen is not going to happen, my ambition still needs to be served. My whole plan all along was to get money. So now that I know that that's not going to happen, let me betray him to get what was my plan all along. When your ambitions are at the forefront of anything, you will betray your call to get what you had in mind instead of what he had in mind. And I'm telling you every last single time, most times what he has in mind looks different than what you have in mind in some capacity or the other. Some part of your process is gonna look entirely different than you thought, and even when you make it, sometimes where you make it to looks entirely different than what it was gonna, you thought it was gonna be. What it's gonna cost you is gonna look entirely different. What it costs to maintain it is gonna look entirely different. And most of our process in the field is meant to purge out the side of us that have an idea of what it's going to be. So even now in this moment, for those of us that are getting ready to be found by the fight, because you don't get to decide the fight, the fight finds you. The fight is already crafted, it's already set up, it's already predetermined by God. You just happen upon it and the anointing inside of you is activated by the problem. And so even now, Father, I thank you for...